correctly with the correct amount. D20 Radio, where gamers roll. radiocom Welcome to Me and Steve Talk RPG, the podcast where me and my friend Steve try and help you get the most out of your role-playing game experience. Welcome back to Me and Steve Talk RPGs. Today, I'm here with my friend Steve, and we have a guest. But before our guest, we want to highlight a podcast of the week. So why don't you go ahead and take that away, Steve? All right, Steve. Well, the podcast of the week this week for the D20 Network is the Aegis Podcast, which is a system all about the adventure game engine from Green Ronin, which powers Dragon Age, Fantasy Age, Modern Age. Uh, and they have a couple other titles that use that engine that the names are escaping me of right now. But yeah, this is a podcast. They do some actual plays that I think are, are in the Dragon Age system, but they also discuss book releases, rules, custom content. All kinds of stuff centered around that game engine, which is a pretty interesting little engine. So uh, there'll be a link for them in the show notes. It's soundcloud.com slash Aegis podcast. That's A-G-E-I-S podcast. One might say it's the little engine that could. Yeah. So anyway, (laughs) with that bad joke out of the way, we have a guest on today's episode. They're on to talk about the product that they're kickstarting currently. That is Cloud Seas. You can find that on Kickstarter. It's a really cool fifth edition supplement, I guess you might call it. And rather than me talk about it, I'll go ahead and let Miguel take it away and and talk about the product and a little bit of background on yourself and all that fun jazz. Oh, hello there. Uh, I'm Miguel Colon. I'm a writer by trade. And uh, yes, you are correct. I am currently working on a Kickstarter for the Cloud Seed setting supplement. Uh, it's a bit of a best way to describe it is a quick elevator pitch. It is a Roaring Twenties inspired setting set in uh, sky cities above a radioactive cloud which covers the earth and ensures that, well, doom comes to all who enters it. Sounds fun. A little <laughs> different, but I like different. What I can say is that this uh, Kickstarter and project is based almost entirely on my own experiences uh, in the real world, as well as various media, which including Bioshock Infinite and especially 1984. Good book. Great read. I've read it. It's been years. I think I read it in my teens. Yeah, so... I think to get the the elephant out of the room, as as a lot of our audience is aware, we're not huge fans of 5th edition. Well, we're fans of 5th edition. I wouldn't say that we're not fans of it, but we're not the biggest 5th edition players. But to get that elephant out of the room and maybe to explain a little bit what was going on and, and why you maybe chose 5th edition, it's, you know, we had talked previously and you'd mentioned that you're you're really proficient with Pathfinder. So why 5th edition for this particular supplement? Well, yes, Pathfinder is actually my uh, system of choice given any uh, given any time period. But with fifth edition, I felt like I the best way to describe it is to go about this question in a roundabout way. I had a message that I wanted to speak about, and this was the idea of the 1920s 
being this brilliant time. It's very nostalgic. However, that nostalgia is tainted by the fact that, well, it wasn't a great time for everyone. Sort of like in The Great Gatsby, it was not exactly the best of times for all, and that includes many forms of bigotry that happened during the 1920s, making it quite a difficult time for many. And I wanted to... Uh, I wanted to highlight that contrast and break that nostalgia a bit, deconstructing the era. Uh, so to answer your question as to why 5th edition, because I believe that it would give me the biggest audience to speak to. That's fair. I mean, yeah, that that's, you know, if, you, if you've got something to say, I mean, I suppose, why not use the tools that'll get it and get your message in front of the most people? I, I will say that I have thought about uh, releasing it for Pathfinder. I have thought about releasing it for as its own system, playing around with different things, especially the modular air, airplane combat system that I have going on in there. But I ultimately decided, you know what, it's probably best uh, if I go with 5th edition because more people will be able to see it that way. Well, I think from from a, a game development design angle, too, there's a massive difference between writing a setting and maybe a few additional rules for an existing rule system as opposed to designing an entire system from scratch. I mean, there's there's a big, big step between those two things. Indeed. It would have taken a lot more time. It would have taken a lot more effort. Probably not something I could have done on my own, and this is mostly a solo project. I am the sole writer. Uh, I did have, uh, I'm not the person who did the art or the layout. I had to hire those people, of course, but I am the sole writer, and in keeping with that, uh, I took a look at the idea of building a, a complete system and thought, you know what, I probably can do it, but it won't be as proficient as something that I can put out in 5e. It seems reasonable to me. Yeah, like, I, I have certain issues with the 5e engine, but at the same point, it is a functional game system. It's just that really a lot of its issues are more my preferences. And everybody has different preferences. That's why there's so many games out there. And and two, just going by, you know, you were nice enough to send us a, a preview copy of it or a, a early draft, or I don't know what you'd like to call it. Um, but going through this, I would say, should you want to take this setting and play it in Pathfinder or really whatever your individual system of choice is, I think you could take the information, even just what I've seen in the, the limited version that, that you sent me, I think you could take this and run with the ideas in, in darn near any system out there. Well, I definitely wanted to, uh, instead of a complete rules supplement, because there are lots of rules supplements for 5e, uh, I did want to build a setting in which a story can be told. And so you're, you're right on the money in which this product can be taken and utilized elsewhere other than just 5th edition. It would take uh, a little finagling, of course, as any transition would, but I believe that the stories that can be told within Cloud Sea are, in a sense, I want to say systemless. Mm -hmm. So that's why 5e, and, and that seems like a solid decision to me. So where, I mean, aside from a 
sky cities above radioactive clouds in a pseudo roaring 20s i mean where where do you start describing this because that you know that that's a an evocative image but also a vague one in a lot of ways too you're right and the best way i can describe things is uh starting with the most obvious fact about the setting it's a dystopia uh it is by far a dystopia the most apocalyptic one in a sense in that the world has technically ended but people have already rebuilt so it's not it's not a post-apocalyptic setting it's a dystopian one in which after the world was rebuilt how did people rebuild it well in a fascist society and that fascist society managed to grapple control over everyone else who was still alive and started to rebuild in that image. And I don't think it's controversial to say fascism bad. Um, <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't say so. Uh, and so I wanted to take a look at that sort of image. And the reason I chose the 1920s uh, was because I, I, once again, wanted to sort of deconstruct the era a little bit and talk about many different many different topics uh racism is a big is a big topic within cloud sea uh there's uh, quite a bit of racism against the android race in particular and the gnomish race is uh, are the upper echelons of society uh everybody else is sort of in the middle and so because of that you have this opportunity for telling stories about Difficult topics in which you can definitely delve into the nitty gritty of it and come out in a, I want to say, heroic way, because I, I'd like to say that the setting is hopeful. There's, It's a dystopia, but it's a dystopia in which the revolution has started. And because of that, there's this idea that, no, things don't have to be this way forever. Things can change. People can make a difference. I think that's one of the things that I, as as I've spoken with you and read more about the setting, that's one of the things that I really enjoy. I think with stories like this, and, and we see this in cyberpunk media a lot, the stories can get really bleak and there can seem like there's no way out. And having a game where it is bleak and it does seem dark, but there is hope and there is a light at the end of the tunnel, I think that's something that especially in more modern games that are coming out, we don't see that a lot. A lot of times it is just, well, this is as dark and as bad as it can get. And it's nice to have that where, no, but there is a light at the end of the tunnel. There is a little bit of hope. There is a chance for things to get better. And that's one of the things I really enjoy about this setting. I, I do agree with you in that. there There's quite a bit of uh, tendency towards a more... Uh, I'd want to say grimdark attitudes and uh, a more cynical version of uh, various settings. But I, I think that something we've discussed uh, previously was that the world has seen a lot of cynicism lately, uh, especially with the past year and, or, and so. And I think that we could all use a little bit of hope. I don't think you're wrong. So this idea of a punk setting in which the punk characters can actually win was very appealing to me. That is an attractive distinction, if you will, because, you know, like Steve said, I mean, much of the cyberpunk genre, be it 
you know, the Artelsorian titles or, you know, Shadow Run or any of the other ones that are out there, yeah, they do tend to be, at the end of the day, the best you can really hope for is enough money to buy better guns and more bullets for tomorrow. And there's a, an element, there's times where I, I personally enjoy playing games like that sometimes, but I don't, I don't think I want to play that all the time. And this gives you a different take on that. And like you said, there's a chance to affect real change. And that's a, that's a cool thing. The, the best way I can put it is since the government, this, this awful, awful government already won this Orwellian sort of system already won. The only place you can go is up. Uh, and that's what I wanted to sort of bring to the table with Cloud C, because, as as you said, um, I have nothing against Shadowrun or Cyberpunk. I like, I quite like them. In fact, uh, the, uh, there's obvious inspirations there for me. But at the same time, I did want to offer a different perspective. Now, I guess what well, we're still in the, in the kind of mechanic and philosophy bits. Going off of, of what I've seen of this, you have, what, five races outlined in the document as far as playable races? Yes. Uh, would you like me to go into them? Absolutely. Okay, so first off we have, uh, and I'll give a little bit of information as to why they're there as well. First off, we have the humans. and They are primarily there because I know that as a society... Uh, we, we like to insert ourselves into, insert ourselves into the story and humans are a great race to be able to do that with. Uh, there's a reason, uh, in fifth edition, human fighter is perhaps the most common combination of things to do with one's character. So that's why humans are there. Very good for self-inserting yourself into the story. Uh... Then there are the gnomes, and I chose gnomes as the sort of upper echelon of society because uh, I believed that upon reading a lot of high fantasy in which gnomes are uh, available, and they seem to be this like magic, magically masterful race, and it seemed to me like in a setting in which there are only five races they'd naturally become a sort of magocracy and naturally take power. They're charming, they have quite a bit of influence in the setting, and if you're a gnome, your your life is almost set because of how you were born. Next are the rat folk, and I chose them because I wanted a I, I really wanted a tinkerer race, something to contrast with the gnomes who are a more magically inclined race. And rat folk I gained quite a bit of respect for out of the many rat folk that I have GM'd for as um, my players have brought them to the table, as well as with Starfinder, in which they are a core race. Uh, not called rat folk, of course, but uh, my love for them grew because of uh, that, uh, especially Starfinder. But there is that element of contrast with the magically inclined race of gnomes. Next, you have the Nimbus Nymphs, and the Nimbus Nymphs are a race that were brought to the setting because I wanted to be able to have this 
fae-like race that is on the decline. They've lost much of their powers because within the setting of Cloud Sea, there's no more oceans or rivers or large bodies of water to evaporate, so there are no more natural clouds for them to make homes. And because of that, they sort of just became slowly and slowly more dependent on the other races, uh, obviously because they're cloud nymphs, nimbus nymphs. They survived the uh, apocalypse that preceded the setting. And they are a very warlike race, in fact. Uh, if one knows much about Nimbus clouds, one knows that they are not generally storm clouds. So they are not your average friendly nymphs that you see in a lot of fiction. They're actually quite militaristic, in a sense. And their big onus is that they want to return to the, uh, return to the heights that they once had and by that i mean regain a, some semblance of their power they used to be able to fly for example but they lost that over time uh and so now they make great fighter pilots most fighter pilots are nymphs because well they want to return to the skies and finally there's the newest race in the setting as far as chronology goes the androids and the androids were created in setting as a worker-type race, but the problem is that they were given sentience, uh, sentience. And because of that, there was a large argument as to, well, one, should these things be considered people? And once it was decided, yeah, yeah, they really should, there was quite a cataclysmic fight between the different sky cities as to okay, what now? We have a brand new race of people who need rights, and we're not sure should even be considered people. Which is where the elements I wanted to bring in of the 1920s era racism come in. Uh, even though the uh, elements of racism that I wanted to bring in are a bit anachronistic, uh, there's elements of 1920s racism, there's elements of the Red Scare, uh, and there's elements of more modern topics. Mm -hmm. Now, you mentioned this a little bit when, when we were chatting before we started recording. You know, some of your inspirations for this uh, included uh, Keith Baker's Eberron, and I can't help but see a parallel to a certain point between the Warforged and these androids, although, again, given the, the limited reading I got a chance to do of your project, it seems like they were created for vastly different purposes. Is that accurate, or am I connecting dots that aren't connected well the the androids in this in cloud sea were created to be workers of sorts they were they were created specifically to ease the burden of actual people i'm saying that with quotes in order to make life more easy for them so that they can go out and party and and go out to speakeasies and play jazz and drink illicit alcohol while this race of people, uh, this race of androids, would be the workers of society. The problem being that the people who made the androids were too good at their jobs, in a, in a sense, and created pe actual people. The distinction between the Warforged and the androids, I feel, is mostly in that the androids 
there is this element of what if they replace us? What if they start creating newer models that aren't obviously androids that look like humans or nymphs and they start to go ahead and start taking our places in society. This is obviously propaganda by the government that I had set up um, in order to keep them down because nobody wants to really give up power once they have it. But at the same time, uh, they, they sort of agreed that publicly no it's it's okay we're going to treat them as people but at the same time they're enacting legislations against them again calling back to real world events well, that sounds pretty cool so i guess that's a little bit of the the nitty gritty to it to a certain point anything more you want to add in on that or do you want to maybe move into a little more of the world itself and you know your inspirations and processes coming up with what like to me feels like a really really neat and interesting setting well uh i can definitely talk about the setting uh a bit more uh is there any particular part that you want me to discuss first or what you're the most proud of oh what i'm <laughs> what i'm the <laughs> most proud of that's that's a hard question because i i love uh i love all my children equally um <laughs> But uh, in all seriousness, what I'm most proud of is this idea that I get to talk about all these different topics in a manner that I think people can really engage with. And there are quite a few plot hooks within the setting that one can possibly go with. This, for example, this idea that, oh, are androids replacing actual people? Who can you trust? Can you... Uh, know for sure that the person that you're speaking to is who you think it is. Uh, let's uncover that conspiracy. Or there's the classic, let's fight the system and tear it down and build it up anew so that we have this bright and shining democracy. I think something like that is what I'm most proud of, that you have all these potential plot hooks in the setting of Cloud Sea in order to really be able to take any number of stories and campaign arcs and play with them. Very cool. Now I did see again, based on, on what you have in the, in the campaign stuff on Kickstarter and whatnot, you've got three defined cities currently, these sky cities. Yes, there are currently three defined sky cities, uh, the sky city of dragon, the sky city of Phoenix and the sky city of Hydra. Uh, these names were chosen out of a quite ironically nostalgic past for the people in these sky cities who remember these mythological creatures uh mythological to them because they have never seen dragons phoenixes or hydras as well the world is completely covered in this radioactive cloud the sky cities of uh phoenix and dragon are perhaps the primary antagonists of the setting in that they are the the man that you stick it up to they are the cities in which the government has won and something that is interesting about the cloudsy book i i would hope is that it is actually narrated by the minister of truth of one of these guys cities dragon and by minister of truth i of course mean propaganda machine mm-hmm and so the Sky City of Hydra is villainized by the narrator of the Cloud Sea book, 
which is taken as a sort of propaganda pamphlet, almost. And it's spoken about in horrendous ways, like, oh, these are warlike people who attack our very democracy and our great mayor, even though the idea of these sky cities being real democracies is tenuous at best. They are religious. <laughs> they are theocratical oligarchies, almost, in which it's it's funny how anybody can vote and anybody can run for office, but only really the gnomes ever get elected, huh? <laughs> Meanwhile, you have Hydra, who it's not so subtly hinted that actually these guys have it have this revolution going on and they they want the system in place to change they want more freedoms they want for example the androids to be this free race instead of being kept down and they are currently led by an android uh, an android named emmanuel who i'm i'm neither going to confirm nor deny any connections to any emmanuels from 1984 <laughs> but they are going ahead and starting this revolution. And the idea is that they will be able to go ahead and the players and GMs, that is, uh, go ahead and either start in one of these already completely indoctrinated sky cities of Dragon or Phoenix, or, or start play in a more friendly locale in the sky city of hydra i like what you've got going and and just for some reason it just suddenly struck me that you took orwell and made something with hope in it out of it and again it's been years since i read 1984 but i remember it being very very bleak so kudos there i i'm not going to pretend that there aren't bleak elements of cloud sea uh, there are, for example, reindoctrination camps, uh, a la Orwell, that take people and fix them if they're deviants. But at the end of the day, you still have this idea that, no, no, we, we, we can stop this. We can hit those, hit those camps. We can free the people. We can go ahead and do something, even, even as they lie through their teeth about being the good guys, we can show, no, things can be changed. Cool. Actually, to, to step back a quick second to mechanics, what about the, the classes? Obviously, D&D and 5th edition is very class-based. Are, are you pretty much just opening it up to the 12 or 13 core classes, or do you have other plans? That I am. I wanted things to be at a time period in which uh like airplanes for example they are relatively new in setting uh they are made of and instead of engines they are made of these like elemental core crystals and the weapons for the airplanes are also made of these elemental cores and so we don't really have firearms yet but it's one of those hinted things that no, we're getting there. We're, we're currently still using longbows and longswords and axes, but we're, we're getting to the point where we can take these elemental crystals and probably create uh, pseudo-firearms out of them very soon. 
so the the 12 core classes are definitely a thing and the first stretch goal which we're coming up to very soon hopefully is an explanation of the 12 classes and their roles in society as well as different subclasses that fit within the system i actually have this already written the main reason it's a stretch goal is because we need art and I need to pay the layout guy. And that's not something that I can really do on my own, you know? So for example, you have fighters and fighters are this subclass I have for them are officers. So if you want to play somebody who's in the system or uh, is a, a police officer who realized that, oh no, things are desperately wrong. Uh, you can play as somebody who uses non-lethal takedowns and is good at fighting in the streets. Meanwhile, bards, for example, are entertainers, specifically jazz entertainers and musicians with the school of entertainment. So the, the 12 classes are definitely present within Cloud Sea, but their roles might be changing with the introduction of more advanced technology and magic. Nice. Yeah, sorry to kind of reverse there for a moment, but it suddenly popped into my head and I thought it was worth getting out there. And I did see that that was, was a stretch goal. But yeah, like, I just think like this, this setting, like you mentioned, you've got so many kind of hooks and and potential things going because... I envision this as kind of being pseudo industrial, but not completely. And you know, you've got, you mentioned, you know, the mining of the mountaintops that stick up through the clouds. And then you've got the piracy, you know, like you've got a lot of different angles at play and it just feels like there's a lot of different ways you could go with this. And like you said, there's different ways to highlight different, different stories you want to tell or different themes you want to explore. And, and I, for one anyway, really enjoy settings that, for lack of a better way to say it, I'm tired of wandering out to clear the cave with a, full of goblins. And that isn't a thing here. <laughs> yes, uh, I, 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 I'd like to thank you for those words, first and foremost. Uh, I, I definitely wanted there to be wanted there to be differences between this and your Tolkien-esque uh, fantasy. So most of the fights that one gets into are with other humanoids. And there that isn't to say that you can't have airplane battles, because obviously there are rules for airplanes. But those take on a different form as if you're up in the sky and rapidly taking damage, you might want to land and escape rather than continue the fight. Uh, because, well... If you're in an airplane and it reaches zero hit points, what happens to you? Well, not only that, but the slow fall doesn't necessarily work because you're not in an environment where you may not be above ground, safe ground. Exactly. Uh, you're, you're going to fall straight into the cloud sea and likely perish there. Uh, something I didn't mention about the cloud sea is that it's radioactive to uh, the different races here. The androids were created as a way to, uh, I, I mentioned how they were created as a means to, for the other races to go ahead and, and just enjoy their lives. That's because the ra uh, radiation of the cloud sea rapidly ages anybody going into it. 
And so the androids have a built-in mechanic that lets them age less rapidly at a pace that lets them go ahead and do that grunt work without falling apart immediately. And I should say, too, that the Cloud Sea is this mysterious entity, this uh, thing in which people don't really know what's in there other than it's the remnants of the old world. You can't really dive to the bottom without rapidly aging, even with protection like diving suits, and come back unscathed. And those people who do manage to say, hey, yeah, I have like 500 years left and I have this high-tech diving suit. I'm going to dive right in and see what's at the bottom. They don't come back. I love things like that left in stories. I just, I do because, and I'm guessing from what you're saying here and, and what I've read, this is something you left intentionally vague because it's more fun that way. Uh, it is definitely something that I left intentionally vague. I did want to, There, there is something on the horizon. Uh, as you mentioned, I sent you two drafts. And I, that's what I'd like to call it—a draft, because more is going to be added. Obviously, there are, uh, some of the some of the reward tiers include adding new characters, things, and new monsters. And that that being a very important thing, monsters. The Cloud Sea was originally meant to remain mysterious, and I wanted it to be up to. Uh, I didn't create monsters myself. Uh, because I almost wanted it to be up to the audience to come up with what's, what's, what's down there. Uh, and even when I, even if I were to reach the fourth hidden, uh, stretch goal of like a bestiary or people were to go to go ahead and take the reward here of create a monster. It's not going to be the sort of thing that, in-universe, I'm just going to say, nope, this exists. I actually have a lore explanation for that, uh, uh, already written up and planned, which is, there's this one guy who went down there in the Cloud Sea and came back. And he's this mad artist who's doing these sketches of things that he claims he saw. Oh, that's cool. Uh, it's something that uh, uh, it's uh, the RPG equivalent of a diegetic interface, I think, uh, in which you you have these uh, monster sketches beca uh, because of the artwork uh, in the book, and they're all done in universe by this artist who happened to survive being in the Cloud Sea for a while, and he's he's claiming he saw all these strange things. And yes, they're going to have stats, but <laughs> whether or not they're there, they're actually there would be up, completely up to the uh, GM involved and the players if they want to tell that kind of story. That's a really, really cool take on that. I like that a lot. Yeah, that's that's cool. Uh, thank you. Thank you. But you, Steve, you got anything more to I know I've been asking questions <laughs> i i um i think it's going to be a really great product when it comes out finally and and hits well essentially hits shelves but i i'm excited and and excited to see where it goes it actually has me excited to play 5e for like once 
because I, I really want to get this on the table at some point because it really, really, really seems flushed out. You've got the story down pat. I think it's a great product. I really do. <laughs> I honestly do. Um, and a little bit of little bit of backstory. You came and hung out with me in our Discord last night and we chatted leading up to today's interview. And periodically you'll see me or Steve in our Discord in general chat as a little plug if you ever want to come just talk about stuff. But yeah, when we talked yesterday, I I I was blown away by how at the surface level it seemed really cool. And then as we got further into the conversation, I was really blown away with how deep and and rich this world is and I, I really really like it. And and I think it's going to be a great product. And I think with that, I don't have any more questions. Do you have any more questions, Steve? Well, not too much. I thought maybe it might be worth taking a little bit of time though to talk about the the campaign itself. As we're recording this, it's it's Friday, July 9th, and you have successfully funded and you mentioned you're you're getting edging closer to your first stretch goal, but if you wanted to talk a little bit about, you know, the campaign itself and the tiers and and all that. Yeah, definitely. Well, the campaign itself is currently funded and we are edging closer to that first stretch goal uh, which is the class descriptions and 12 new subclasses and how they fit into the setting itself that uh, is going to be followed up by an expanded look at the three sky cities so just a lot more lore to go into the uh, setting and actual maps, uh, I'm, I'm planning to, on, I have a cartographer set up to make maps of the Sky Cities from a heads up, a uh, bird's eye view. And the third stretch goal currently on the docket are 10 important NPC write-ups, including art for each NPC done by the great Rick Hershey. I, I feel like I should uh, mention my artist's because they they are they are just great. I would say the the art the, the little tidbits you put up in the, in the campaign and and then again in the draft document that you sent us the art is is top notch and very thematic I think very enjoyable to just just flip through the PDF. Uh, uh, once again, thank you. Uh, I I don't uh, I I can't say that enough. But uh, as far as the campaign goes, there's the different tiers. Uh, there's the law-abiding citizen tier, $1 tier. It's just if you want to say, hey, I want to just back you as a sort of uh, uh, support. Uh, I, I want to show support. You get a big thanks from us uh, because every every little bit helps, you know? Every little bit helps cover the costs of layout and cover the costs of the artwork, and I'm very attached to the artists, once again. Uh, but there's the second tier, the $10 tier, the jazz musician tier, in which you get a PDF copy of the book um, once it's finally done, because obviously uh, there's, there's a first draft in which everything is done in theory, except for all the backer rewards. Uh, which I'm going to be working with uh, the backers as the campaign goes goes uh, through its final days in hopes that I get to, to get that to everybody as soon as possible. There's the $20 tier, which is the experienced diver tier, 
uh, once again, a thank you, a PDF copy of Cloud Sea, and a collection of 5e books called the Keeping It Classy line, uh, which is done by the layout guy, editor, and publisher for this, uh, Kim Franson. Each of these ha- um, books has, uh, that would be a total of 45 new subclasses for the 5th edition um, games, uh, 15 backgrounds and 3 races for the Barbarian, the Bard, and the Druid. I'm sorry, the Barbarian, the Bard, and the Cleric. Don't want to give false information out there. And we actually recently got word of another publisher that I've worked with in the past, Rising Phoenix Games, uh, that they were willing to give a few more uh, a few more products, each of them different class options. So there's that. There's the $25 tier, which is the airplane pilot tier, in which you get all of the previously mentioned things, including your name in the Cloud Sea book uh, in its own separate credits page, as well as an at-cost print-on-demand softcover of Cloud Sea. That is to say, we do not gain any profit from that, but uh, the cost of printing, shipping, and handling has to be covered uh, by uh, through drive-through RPG. Fifty dollars tiers, the radio host tier, all of the above, including something that I worked on for a company called Legendary Games called Sea Monsters, which is a massive tome of well, sea monsters. And finally, the last two tiers, the corporate CEO tier, which is all of the above, including being able to put uh, work with us, uh, and by us I mean me, in order to create an NPC for the book, and this includes art for the NPC, a stat block, and a description, as well as the mutated beast tier, in which you, it's like the previous tier, as mentioned, except you get to help create a monster. Oh, that's cool. And that's uh, about it as far as the Kickstarter goes. Now, when does the campaign end? Because this should, if uh, my brain is working correctly, this should drop, uh, this should go live uh, the morning of July 13th. This has five days to go, and it should meet its end August 4th, 2021. Okay. So yeah, people will still have plenty of time to get in on it after they hear this. Uh, Hopefully we can get to those uh, stretch goals, because I look forward to continuing to write in this setting. Uh, As mentioned, some of the stretch goals are already written, and truth be told, I I just want to be able to get that out there for any potential people looking forward to having options for this setting. Uh, That's really my... uh, pride and joy for me it's the first time i've worked on something as like project lead Mm -hmm. well i gotta be honest to me this feels like a setting that just takes up residence in your brain and and whether theoretically you're done with with what you intended to do or not it just won't leave you alone and you get more ideas and more ideas and you just want to do something with them oh most certainly it's the sort of thing that i'm going to definitely be I've I've done uh, a lot of playtesting in this setting, but I definitely want to run a fully-fledged campaign with my players in the setting as well, uh, rather than just seeing what works, what doesn't work, you know. Uh, I, I want to be able to go ahead and say, okay, now we're actually doing this. 
we're going to run this uh, run this setting, and we're going to spend once two years on it. Very nice. Well, I don't know if Steve talked to you about it at all as far as... Did you guys get into Game of the Week before I got on? Yes, we did. Okay, cool. I think with us coming to sort of an end of the discussion of Cloud C and, and bringing that in, let's go ahead and break into Game of the Week. Game of the Week! Game of the Week! Game of the Week! So, Steve, do you want to kick this one off? Sure, I'll kick this one off. So this is one I found a while ago, and... Uh, Better not be the one I found. <laughs> yeah, that would be a first, actually. We haven't managed to do that to each other yet. Um, we got real was... close. We got <laughs> real close with Atomic Highway. Yeah, yeah, we did. Now, this one, it's actually a pay-what-you-want uh, PDF title, and it's called Never Tell Me the Odds, a space scoundrel RPG about risking it all. And, well... Obviously, the, the title is a reference, but it is designed to be a fast, one-shot, space scoundrel, sci-fi... Look, even in the drive through thing, it says, think of Han Solo relying on a hyperdrive that keeps shorting out. Starbuck going all in when she really shouldn't, or Mal Reynolds attempting last-ditch gambits that never quite pay off. So it's, it's really just intended to have some quick fun with classic space sci-fi tropes and 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 whatever it's a 60 plus page pdf the rules fit on nine pages so obviously quite rules light says there's six different species 12 specialties which look like they're kind of like classes or careers doesn't really say what the game system is but the price is right (laughs) but yeah it, it looks like something that might just be a fun thing to to keep on your your phone or your laptop or your tablet or whatever it is that you do, however you carry your games these days, in case, you know, a couple people don't show up, but the rest of you still want to play something or something like that. But yeah, that's called Never Tell Me the Odds. Did I steal it? No, you didn't. <laughs> I have a game called White Frank colon Zoomway. White Frank is the publisher and the game's called Zoomway. And it is... The best I can gather is it's what if portals just randomly opened up and teleported you anywhere into space. And it seems like a really, it's an OSR game. So it's, you know, the old school revival, real light, grab it and go. And just seems like a really cool, like you're going to play X character that's going to end up here, there, everywhere. And it just seems like a really weird game, really neat, kind of Stargate-esque I'm just going to keep mine sweet to the point. Like I said, PDF was on drive through for four bucks, three, three eighty five. Seems like a cool little game, like 58 pages. Great to grab and throw on a table. Yeah. So how about you, Miguel? Well, uh, I, I, I definitely have one in mind. Uh, I can't say that I have played it, but it is something that is, something very interesting to me because it was written by somebody that I know very well. One Jay Gray, or James Gray, who is a mentor figure to me in the uh, RPG industry. A book called Curious Creatures from R. Talsorian Games. Uh, It's for the Castle Falkenstein system. And again, although I am not the most literate with this system... I do know uh, James Gray and want to say that 
anything that he's uh, I've ever read of his is great. It has so much effort put in, and uh, it's something that I just like to say, hey, go check it out. It's 146 pages, are done by uh, Rick Hershey, and uh, you can find the PDF for 750. Cool. Yeah, I know Jay. Uh, Jay did the layout and specifically all the hyperlinking and stuff in the PDF for Cyberpunk Red, which I've raved about previously on the show. So, also as a side to go back to talking about Cloud C for a second, hyperlinking is fantastic. Your layout's great in that book, and I I want to shout out your layout people because that is something that I really look for in games, and that's really cool. I'll be sure to pass the word along, uh, as well as the link to the uh, podcast. And with that, um, where can people find you? Or obviously, now's the time to plug everything, including Cloud C or any other projects you want them to check out. Uh, well, uh, you can find me on Kickstarter, uh, <laughs> as well as uh, Facebook. My name is Miguel Colon. Uh, I'm, again, a writer for RPGs. And I just hope that we we can make just the best product possible for everybody to be able to enjoy. Very cool. Yeah, like I said, I, I mean, this this looks like something that, yeah, like Steve said, it, it, it strikes that urge where, hey, I want to grab my 5e books and actually use them again or even take it apart and put it into another system or both or everything. <laughs> <laughs> So, uh, yeah, I, I do want to thank you too for allowing me on the podcast. I think this was a great time. Yeah. We want to thank you for coming on and, and talking to us about that really cool product that you're putting out, you know? Yeah. Uh, but I think with that, we've come to the end of our podcast. So we want to remind everyone to be kind to one another and get out there and play some RPGs. Intro and outro music by the band 12 Noon. You can email us at meandsteverpg at gmail.com. You can find us on Twitter and RPGs. Find us on Facebook at Me and Steve RPG Podcast. On Discord at Me and Steve RPGs. And as always, all of these links are in the show notes. Thank you and be kind to one another. Cigar. Cigar, 20 bucks, dog. You got to go down the street to the store and buy that. Holy crap. Craig actually showed up this time. <laughs> the last couple times. All right. Let me kick the bots. Get out of here, G-Ark. Get. Get.